0: We're in the midst of one of my favorite seasons of the year. And I know it's the same for many of you as well. I love that just about everywhere we go, there are visuals that remind us about the season that we're in. For example, Christmas lights are up. Christmas music is playing on the radio. There are office parties, nativity scenes, and family gatherings. These are all reminders that the Christmas season is here. And all of these things can serve as a great reminder for what and who we're celebrating. But if you're anything like me, these things can also be a source of distraction from the real reason for the season. And even though they're beautiful, the lights, the music, and the nativity scenes can all stir nostalgia and emotion without really causing us to celebrate the birth of our Savior. It's possible for us to be in awe of what we see and hear without really focusing on the story behind the nostalgia. Throughout the month of December, We're being intentional as a church family about going back to the story, the real reason for the season. If you're joining us for the first time, we're in week three of a message series called Christmas According to Luke. In the first two chapters of his gospel, Dr. Luke gives us an accurate and detailed account of the events surrounding Jesus' birth. We've been going section by section, verse by verse, learning more about how different people responded to the amazing news of Jesus' birth. These different responses cause us to examine our own lives and our own walk with Christ while simultaneously helping us prepare our hearts for Christmas. In week one, we read about how Zachariah the priest responded to the good news that even in their old age, he and his wife Elizabeth would have a son. They were instructed to name their son John, which means Jehovah is gracious. John is the one who prepared the way for Jesus. We know him as John the Baptist. Zachariah's response to this news was ultimately one of unbelief. He looked at himself, his circumstances, his old age. He thought of his wife and came to the conclusion that their physical limitations were just too much of a barrier for God to get around. Because of his unbelief, God caused him to be mute. He was unable to speak until their son was born. Zechariah acted based on his circumstances instead of responding in faith. I asked you this question. Are you a person who acts based on circumstances? Or are you a person who walks by faith? Hebrews 11 verse 1 tells us that faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So the beginning point of faith is believing in God's character. It's being sure that he is who he says he is. The end point of faith is believing that God will fulfill his promises. It's being certain that he'll do what he says he'll do. Where Zachariah responded in unbelief, Mary, the mother of Jesus, responded in faith. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, we're told that the angel Gabriel brought a second birth announcement, this time to a poor girl from Nazareth. He told her that she was favored by God and the Lord was with her. After hearing that she would conceive a child through the power of the Holy Spirit and that this child would be named Jesus and would be the Son of God, Mary responded by saying, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you've said about me come true. Mary's response was one of faith. She didn't understand the performance, you know how everything would happen, but she did understand what would happen. Gabriel gave her those details. She was sure that God is who he says he is, and she was certain that he would do what he said he would do. Mary put her faith in a faithful God. The challenge for us is to follow her example in our own walk with Christ. Just how God wanted full submission and surrender in Mary's life. He wants the same thing in your life as well. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We're called to be completely sold out to God, to be kingdom workers who are used by him for his purposes and his plans. We've seen a response of unbelief. We've seen a response of faith. Today, we're going to read about three different responses of joy. I would say that if the Christmas season has been a struggle for you, these responses of joy can act as an encouragement as we're reminded about where real joy comes from and what real joy leads to. If you have a Bible with you, I'd like to invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 1. We're going to pick up where we left off last week with verses 39 through 56. So Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He's performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He's brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He's helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Now that Mary knew that she was going to be a mother and that her cousin Elizabeth was also pregnant, she decided to travel to the hill country of Judea to see Elizabeth so they could celebrate together. Joy is the major theme in this section of scripture. We see three different responses of joy and each response reminds us about what real joy is and what real joy leads us to in our own walk with Christ. If you're taking notes, the first truth that I'd like to talk about is this real joy leads us to worship. Joy leads us to worship. We see this with the first two responses, Elizabeth and John. Look with me to Luke chapter 1, 39 through 45. It says, at that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. So as soon as Mary entered the house, we read that Elizabeth heard her greeting. John leaped for joy in the womb. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she shouted out what God had revealed to her, that Mary would be the mother of the Messiah. Now the one word that kept coming out of Elizabeth's mouth was the word blessed. It's important to recognize that she didn't say that Mary was blessed above all other women, but that she was blessed among women. Last week, I mentioned how we often go to one of two extremes when it comes to how we think about Mary. On one extreme, we elevate her so much that Jesus ends up taking second place, but that is wrong. Jesus is the one who's great. He's the one who was given. He's the one whom we worship and follow with our lives. On the other extreme, we tend to completely ignore her and fail to give her the honor she deserves. While we never want to elevate Mary to the point that Jesus takes second place, we also don't want to minimize her place in God's redemptive plan. Our response should be the same as Elizabeth. We honor her and hold her in high esteem. We learn from her example. The thing that Elizabeth emphasized about Mary was her faith. In verse 45, she said, Blessed is she who has believed That the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. So Mary believed in what seemed like an impossible situation. She put her faith in God. She believed. We're called to be people of faith as well. In fact, the Bible tells us that we are saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9 says For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. We become Christians by God's unmerited grace through faith in Jesus, not as the result of any effort, ability, or works on our part. Grace is a gift, and faith is a gift. Mary believed the word of God. In faith, she believed the promise, and then she experienced the blessing and power of God at work in her life. As soon as Elizabeth saw her, and as soon as John heard her from within the womb, they were both filled with joy, and their joy was. Led to joyful worship. You know, a common theme that we see in the New Testament is that wherever there is spirit filled worship, there's also joy. And wherever there is joy, there is spirit filled worship. And that's because joy is different from happiness. Happiness is circumstantial. Our feelings and moods tend to fluctuate day to day based on our circumstances. And far too often, we put the emphasis on happiness that people strive for happiness when they should really strive for joy in Christ. Instead of being circumstantial, joy is something that is rooted in Jesus. In fact, I would say that our joy is based on the truth of who God is and who we are in Christ. Circumstances, especially difficult ones, should only feed our joy. The Bible reminds us that we can be joyful regardless of what's going on in our lives. 1 Thessalonians five sixteen through 18 says, Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So friends, we can be joyful no matter what. And real joy will lead us to worship. The Advent season should be a season of worship. It's a season of anticipation. But far too often, We tend to fill this time with things that just don't matter. Things that fill us with anxiety and worry instead of joy and worship. Christmas Day is on a Sunday this year, which I think is just awesome. What better way for us to celebrate Christmas than to gather with our church family, worshiping God for who he is and for what he's done. Now, I'm already hearing stories of churches that have decided to not have service on Christmas Day. But friends, I'm here to tell you that our doors will be open. And all are invited to gather as we celebrate the birth of our Savior. I want to invite you to make worship a priority this season. Allow the joy that you have in Christ to lead you to joyful worship. The second truth that I'd like to talk about is this. Real joy reminds us about who God is and what he has done. We see this in the third response, which is Mary's response. Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 56. He's brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He's helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Now, many of you will recognize this section of scripture as Mary's song. A fun fact, the very first Christmas songs were sung by people responding to the good news of Jesus' birth. And Mary's song is the first song that was sung. Her song teaches us about what God is like and about what he's done for us. And the first word that helps us learn more about what God is like in her song is the word mindful. Now, this is kind of a sub point this week, but if you want to write this down, you can that God is mindful. We read about this in verses 46 through 48. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. To be mindful of something or someone is to take notice, to remember and to take care of them. Mary understood that this extraordinary encounter revealed an important truth about God's character. That God is a personal God who was mindful of her. Mary saying, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. I believe she recognized that God could have chosen a rich and noble queen or someone who had a lot more influence and authority. But instead, God chose Mary, a young woman who had no real significance in the town where she lived and no real influence towards anyone outside of her own family. And because God had been mindful of her, because he had taken notice, remembered and taken care of her, Mary responded by singing, My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. I love this quote from Alistair Begg in his book, Christmas Playlist. He says, Mary may have been small in the eyes of the world, but she was valuable in the eyes of the one who made the world. Maybe you're thinking, of course God was mindful of Mary. I mean, this is Mary that we're talking about, the mother of Jesus But Mary didn't just sing and respond to God because of what he had done for her. She also sang about what God has done and is doing for his people as a whole. Verses 54 through 55 says, He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. So yes, God was mindful of Mary individually, but he's also mindful of his people as a whole. When we read the different accounts of Jesus' birth in the Gospels, it's easy to see that this is how it's been since the time of creation. From when God first created man and woman in his own image to today, as you sit and listen to this podcast, God has been mindful of his people. He's been mindful of you. He thinks about you. He cares for you. and He remembers and keeps his promises to you. From the first time God promised that a son would be given— Until Mary was visited by the angel Gabriel and into her present day, God has always been and always will be mindful of his people. This is an important aspect of God's character and his nature. It's part of who he is. He was mindful of Mary and he's mindful of us. He's mindful of you. This means that God is personally involved in our lives. Another great quote from Alistair Begg says, The greatness of God is not revealed in his isolation from us. The greatness of God is revealed in his intimacy with us. We serve a personal God, a God who loves each one of us individually. Matthew chapter one, verses 22 and 23 says, all of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. The God of the Bible is mindful of you. And that, friend, gives you value. Regardless of what others think or say about you, regardless of how others treat you, the truth is God is mindful of you. This is the God we celebrate and worship at Christmas. This is the God we celebrate and worship every other day throughout the year. He's the God who knows you, cares for you, and loves you. God is mindful of you. The second word in Mary's song that helps us learn more about what God is like is the word mighty. God is mighty. We see this in verses 48 through 49. It says, From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Mary's song first reminds us that God is mindful. So he takes notice, he remembers, and takes care of us. His provision is perfect. This is important to know if we're going to understand this next word. Mary responded to this extraordinary news and encounter by singing about how God is mighty. And the rest of her song gives us a word picture for how God is mighty. Verses 50 through 55 says his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He's performed mighty deeds with his hands. He's scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He's brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things and has sent the rich away empty. He's helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. So in his might, God takes what individuals and societies define as great and he turns these things upside down for the good of those who love him. The first thing that God does in his might is found in verse 51, which says he's performed mighty deeds with his arm. He's scattered those who are proud, In their inmost thoughts. So it's easy to look at our own individual achievements and accomplishments in life and then direct the credit and praise back to ourselves. But Mary's song reminds us that our achievements in life are not solely based on our own abilities and hard work. Instead, they're based on the might, the goodness, and the provision of God. If we think that it's our own abilities and hard work that gets us to where we want to go, God has a way of bringing us down from the pedestal so that the praise and the glory goes to him. The second thing that God does in his might is found in verse 52, which says, He's brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. Any history book will confirm what Mary is singing about here. Throughout history, the proudest societies eventually fall to nothing. But the ones who have God on the throne of their hearts, they thrive. You know, biblical humility is thinking of ourselves less. It's thinking of others more and allowing God to occupy the place in our hearts that he alone is meant to occupy. If we start going down a road that's prideful, God has a way of humbling us for our good. The third thing that God does in his might is found in verse 53, which says, He's filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. Our culture tells us that it's the rich who are full and the poor who are empty. It's clear in God's word that wealth in and of itself is not a bad thing, but far too often we pursue wealth and our own plans and happiness instead of pursuing God and his plans. I've known plenty of wealthy people who were also empty. And that's because material wealth can never truly satisfy. It can never fill us up. Mary knew this. And that's why she's saying about how God is the only one who can truly fill and satisfy our lives. In this passage, we read about three different responses of joy. Each of these responses teach us more about what real joy is and what real joy leads us to. Real joy should lead us to worship. I want to encourage you to make worship a priority this season. We know that worship isn't just for Sunday mornings, but make it a priority to gather with your church family as we celebrate the birth of our Savior together. Real joy also reminds us about who God is and what he's done. Through Mary's song, we're reminded about how God was mindful of her and how he's mindful of us. He thinks about you, he cares for you, and he remembers and keeps his promises to you. God is also mighty. He has a way of reminding us that our achievements in life aren't really ours. He's the one who gives us the ability to work. He's our provider, and the glory belongs to him. If we start going down a prideful path, He has a way of humbling us for our good. He reminds us that he's the only one who can truly fill and satisfy our lives. So my prayer for you today is this. Upon hearing the good news of Jesus' birth, my prayer is that you would respond with joy. Joy because God has made a way for you to know him and to live for him and allow that joy to lead to joyful worship. Be reminded about who God is and what he's done for you.